Okay, folks, three months later, and we're finally back for season two. I have four words. Blame it on Steve. Wow. <laughs> okay, that didn't land. I'm going to edit that out of the podcast. <laughs> I was telling Bex and Debs that's how I was going to start with, and it didn't land. Okay, maybe I'll leave it in now. I don't know. You got to uh, leave it in. Welcome to season two, folks. <laughs> We're kicking it off hot with James and Jesse Lusk from New York, who church planted City Beautiful Church in East Harlem. James and Jesse used to be elders here at Anthem, and I met them a couple of times. I had the privilege of going to City Beautiful. I was there this past weekend. So I'm spoiled in having them back to back like this and in such proximity. And so we're super excited to have them on in season two, the first episode, kicking it off. Steve, do you want to kick them off and just kind of give a background of, of who James and Jesse are? Absolutely. James was uh, living by himself in downtown Chicago as a graduate student in the theater program at DePaul and stumbled across a flyer that we were handing out to passers-by in downtown Chicago. We've done one mail drop in the 18 years of Anthem Church's history, and the one mail drop has that we've done has brought in one singular person, and that is James Lusk. He, uh, he saw the mail drop, he responded, he came to church on Sunday, and let's say our collective lives were changed from then on. Soon after that, James married Jesse. Jesse uh, was living in New York at the time. They moved. She moved to Chicago. Very soon after that, they came onto the eldership team of the church. Are just absolute dear, dear friends. It was a a sad day for us, but a celebration in the kingdom when we released them to to plant in New York City. And I'm sure some of that testimony will come out. So it's a massive privilege to have them on the podcast today. And just like Steve said, I was talking to someone from Anthem and they were talking about how they've never cried as much as they have in their life than when James and Jesse were, were commissioned to New York. I saw the full realization of that this, this past Sunday until I understood why. And so, but before we jump into- Can uh, I just say, I think the tears were partly because James and Jess were going and also because now they're going to have to listen to more of my preaching. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I'm crying every Sunday on that one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> You weren't meant to agree with that, Nathan, but uh, moving right along. Season two energy starting on. We're just going to keep we're gonna keep that train going a little bit, Steve. Uh, so Steve doesn't know the first question is season two. Listeners, you might have picked up on this already, but James, Jesse, and Steve are really good friends. And so I asked James and Jesse to uh, come with their favorite, most embarrassing Steve Sudworth story. Oh. And so... I'm going to kick it off to you guys and feel wow. free to share what's on what's on the gauntlet today. Thanks so much, guys. We appreciate it. And, and thanks for the kind words, Steve. I'm, I'm not going to return them right here. <laughs> this no, but we, we're just honored to be, to be a part of this with you guys. So uh, my my favorite story for Steve is probably the moment when he was standing in front of the Anthem Church congregation, imploring people to get good at ping pong. And the reason why he did this is because we had a tradition at that time at Anthem Church, we would watch the, the Super Bowl and we would do a ping pong tournament kind of at the same time in our loft space. And I'm racking my brain to see who, to try to remember who won all of those, but I think it was me. It was me. <laughs> I was, at one point in time, I was the back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back 
ping pong champion at Anthem Church. And so when we used to announce it on Sundays that it was coming up, I would always wear all my you know trophies, uh, bring them all <laughs> up on stage, and just kind of dare the church to to come and to come and, and knock me off my pedestal. And it started off really cutesy. Then I think everybody really started to just kind of like get really tired of it, and Steve especially. So I can just I can just remember vividly Steve standing in front of the congregation saying, "I think his exact words were, I will buy ping pong lessons for anyone <laughs> who will step up to the challenge and just tell James to put a sock in it." <laughs> It never came to fruition, though. I think I won that year, too. You did. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, you left for New York before anyone could dethrone you. So the Tom Brady of Anthem Church ping pong tournaments <laughs> is with us today on the podcast. I think, I think I was always a paper tiger, but no one was ever able to knock me off. So. To this day. Yeah, I don't know that I have any embarrassing stories about Steve. I know one where I was embarrassed. Oh my goodness! Real, kind of early on in in our friendship adventure, when Steve uh, just mocked me for how I would say "warbuski," um, <laughs> and I still don't know if I say it right. So every time I say it now, I say it two or three times in different ways to cover all my bases. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I don't think I mocked you, Jess, but well, maybe <laughs> maybe I did. I think you guys let him off easy, but uh, I think so well, too. <laughs> <laughs> We're, 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 we're easing people in, easing people. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> for part two. Pivoting over here, not pigeoning like we did <laughs> in season one, but pivoting over here. Yeah, James and Jesse, you guys have an awesome testimony of you guys coming from a background where the things of the spirit weren't practiced or wasn't something that was really new. Just kicking off uh, this episode with your testimony, just coming from a background that was new to it, and, and a little bit of your testimony of of how you came into those things here at Anthem too. Sure. You know, I think it's funny. I grew up in a church in Jacksonville, Florida. My dad was the pastor. Um, I've always been super grateful for the way that I was brought up. Um, it was taught to me at a very early age who Jesus is. It, the gospel was taught to me at a very early age. The precious treasure of what the Bible is was taught to me at a very early age. And those things have always with me. And I, I don't think I ever grew up. I mean, I know I know I never woke up one, every day saying, I'm cessationist. You know, I don't I don't believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't move in power or, or that manifests himself in gifts and anointing among us for, for the for the glorification of Jesus and the advancement of his kingdom. I, I didn't wake up every day thinking I'm a cessationist. I think though looking back, the church and discipleship dynamic that I was a part of uh, just didn't recognize those things as a normal part of intimately following Jesus and saying yes to him on a daily basis. And they certainly weren't viewed as supported by scripture or important because of, because of scripture. And in fact, I think looking back, you know, any manifestation of the Holy Spirit or going after anything like that uh, was actually always portrayed to me as kind of dangerous, kind of wild, kind of harmful, kind of on the edge, and really kind of more done for show and performance than it ever would be for a God-glorifying or gospel purpose. And so 
it, it's not really something I ever wore on my sleeve or people around me ever wore on their sleeve. I just think it was unspoken enough that for the first, you know, two decades of my life, that is just sort of what I slotted into. I was cessationist, but I would not have termed myself that. I wasn't vehemently that. I just didn't have a familiarity with actually desiring God to move in power supernaturally in real time. It just was never explained to me or an invitation that I was a part of. Yeah. I think I would say my journey was kind of similar. Like I didn't grow up being taught that really wrong. It was more like you don't know what you don't know a little bit. And what I did see as manifestations of the Holy Spirit, I guess I don't even know if I would call it that at that time, was put on or performative, like James was saying, and also just seemed off to me and unsafe. And so like until college, I wouldn't have even like spoken about it. But I had a friend who was very much believed in the work of the Holy Spirit. And so and we used to drive back and forth from college to my hometown. And so we would get into big conversations. It was the first time I honestly, I think I surprised myself in the conversation when I very strongly came at him like, no, like, (laughs) I don't see that as like helpful or real or whatever, any of the things that we were discussing. Yeah. And I think it was more just, I never saw it or had it offered to me as something that was causing my relationship with God to lack or would be necessary in my relationship with God. And I did, I like, like I believe God healed, but I didn't necessarily see I had a part in that. And when you, when you have that kind of context, plus such an emphasis on the authority of God's word and the truth of God's word in the Bible, it sort of becomes this unspoken association. Sorry for the sirens in the background, but it (laughs) sort of becomes this unspoken association that the authority of scripture and relying on that means indirectly rejecting the expectation that God will move supernaturally Mm. uh, in the moment. Again, never explicitly said, Mm -hmm. and maybe Maybe some people in the context that, that we were growing up in, maybe they didn't think that. But on the whole, that dynamic was communicated, that actually expecting God to manifest his power is a dangerous thing. Relying on scripture is instead the way you should go. The two should never meet. And uh, the authority of the scripture means that all that stuff over there is performative, dangerous, and, and basically unwise and unnecessary. I think that's a very good point that you that you make. I mean, I think people do see it's one or the other. If you have more of one, you have less of the other, and vice versa. So maybe um, maybe the two of you could each take a chance just to talk through how, how did you maintain or kind of hold on to your love for Scripture and the Word of God while adding to that the experience, the the growing experience of the Spirit's work in your life. I think I would say one demands the other like walking by the holy spirit pushes me to scripture to hear something or experience something or question something to question something is going to lead me back to scripture to searching more for something yeah no doubt for me when it it was in the context of of visiting anthem church which was at that point church in the city that's the context that i began to be introduced to such things as speaking in tongues and someone having a word of knowledge or ministering prophetically or, you know, all these things that, that we do see in scripture, no doubt for me 
when I began to experience that, I ran straight back to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would experience that on a Sunday or at a prayer meeting, midweek, whatever it may be, at a, at a small group. And I would sort of take it in in the moment because I didn't want to be inherently confrontational then. And also because it didn't feel dangerous to me in the moment. It right. felt it felt led. It felt explained. It felt overseen by eldership that were in a welcoming way, which was which was a different way of seeing it presented than I had ever had before. Mm. Yeah. So it was, and I would I think the word for that is safe. It felt safe in the moment. But then, believe me, when I was by myself, I went back to the scriptures because. Mm the authority for what I was going to expect or be able to put up with, for lack of a better phrase, was going to be given to me by what is described in the Bible. And an amazing thing happened. I went back to Scripture, and I began to see words that I had always read, Mm. but they described to me what I was experiencing Mm. in those church gatherings, Mm. speaking in tongues, people having words of knowledge and wisdom and, and ministering prophetically and and all these things, and I, and I began to all of a sudden have the scriptures illuminated to me in a way that I never had before. But but rest assured, I, I went back to scripture. Mm. Uh, there was I wasn't going to be convinced by anything else. I wasn't going to be convinced by a really good time or a really wholesome feeling meeting or really great friendships that I was building. Uh, those things are fine, and they're delicious to enjoy, but it was going to be scripture, and it was scripture that pointed out to me, actually, these things are designed by God, and Mm -hmm. they're intended to occur, and we're intended to desire them in return. Mm. Uh, And that's when, for me personally, the lid started to get increasingly blown off of uh, putting a cap on my expectations of God or putting a cap on my understanding of His Word. And as I dived more into one, the other became more of my expectation every Mm. time I met with God or his people together. James, maybe this question is specifically for you, but Jesse, don't, don't hesitate to jump in if, if you want to add to this, but with, with that in mind, the, the kind of growing, increasing experience of, of the spirit of God and, and, and and an understanding of what that looks like in a lived out way. What was it like for your father? What was it like for your family to see you stepping more into this? Was it confrontational? Yeah. What, what was that experience like? Obviously, understanding where you where you came from. You know, that's a great question, and it's it's probably a question that a lot of people have to navigate as they sort of begin to step into a, an understanding of both God's word and how He moves by His Spirit. For me, my parents are probably the most gracious, patient people I know. And uh, I'm really not just saying that in a slogan way about my parents. I mean, they have extended patience and grace to me unlike anyone else. So actually, they didn't react in any way to shut me down. Uh, They, my dad especially, would talk through things with me. And just like I described, he would always go back to scripture. And, And he, I think, initially, his comfort level was, you know, at the end of the day, I'm in a church led by elders that honors the Bible, that praises Jesus, glorifies God, prioritizes the gospel, and we're going after these things of the Spirit as well. And so there was there was not only an acceptance, but there was, I think, an excitement. And and that excitement has grown on their part. Um, I've I've watched them become more 
explicit in what they contend for before the Lord and, and, and expecting him to move supernaturally uh, without going into things they, they've had a lot to contend for in their lives. And then God has also, I think, given Jess and me opportunity to minister specifically to them, especially prophetically, that has impacted them and their lives directly, mm. again, as I said before, in real time. Mm. And I think there, there's that realization that, you know, God can do prophetically in a few seconds what mm-hmm. it would take decades to do otherwise. Mm. So, again, my dad currently pastors a church. In no way, shape, or form is he a televangelist, charismatic pastor, <laughs> but he is, he is a man, and my, and my mom is a woman who expects God to move, and they love, love, love his word. So it's been a cool journey together, really, in that regard. And, I, and, and just to say, I'm thankful that there hasn't been a splitting of me and my parents in any way. And I, and I know that for some people who have wrestled through these, these thoughts, there is a bit of that with their family or their friends or maybe a previous church or leadership or whatever it may be. For me, thank you, Lord, I haven't experienced mm. that. I was just going to say, I agree with what James shared, but also with fam- various family members on my side. I think my experience was more just anytime I would share my experience, I would have to articulate it. You know, I would have to, A, be- believe what I was saying, you know, and and learn it more and more. And honestly, I think it more raised more and more questions for me that I would then go back and and seek out more in various ways, whether sitting with you, Steve and Deb, or just through meetings and, and growing or apostolic trainings for sure. But I feel like for me, it was just people just allowed me my journey, didn't necessarily challenge or like come alongside, but like allowed me my journey and let me share about it. Let's take a time machine and go back to when you guys first came to Anthem, which, you know, James, you mentioned was your first experience with the things of the spirit. What was going through your mind when you heard someone speaking in tongues, prophesying? Jesse, I know you shared that story with me when we were when I was in New York this past weekend. But I I would love to hear like almost like a play by play. I mean, it's probably hard because this is some time ago. But looking back now, like what would you say to yourself to kind of help yourself get over those mental hurdles? that someone might face today? That's a great question. I, I do remember it actually vividly. It was at a prayer meeting and I, we had broken into groups to pray for uh, specific things. Uh, I think it was about the city of Chicago and some things that we were just trusting for, for the city. And, and we were praying for each other in the groups. And I was in a group of maybe five or six people. And I had shared a little about who I was, I was a grad student, was recently moved to Chicago, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so the group was praying over me and several people in the group began to quietly pray in tongues. And the first word that popped into my head, I can't say on this podcast, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I, again, sort of out of politeness for the moment, I stayed there. I didn't react or get crazy, but I, I, I stayed and I, and I continued to allow this experience to happen. And then I, I vividly remember sitting there, allowing these people to pray for me and thinking, wow, the room has not exploded. Like I, everything is safe. Everything is, is okay. And in fact, I, I remember what happened next was Steve specifically and one of the other elders at the time got up and got the attention of the prayer meeting and said, 
listen, we noticed that in some groups, the Lord is moving and people are, are praying in tongues, or you might be receiving a prophetic word. And Steve took, it, it couldn't have been more than 30 seconds and just explained very quickly the biblical basis for what was going on. And that looking back communicated two things to me. One is that the elders were leading this church and that provides that the way God has designed that is that it provides the oversight and safety and shepherding that just allows him to move. But then the other thing that, that it did for me was it centered me back on saying, okay, I'm okay here, but I'm going to take this back to scripture. I'm going to go chew on what has happened. So I, I think my encouragement or, you know, knit into your question about someone who begins to experience this is remember that God has designed these things. It doesn't mean they can't be done poorly or unwisely or harmfully. That, mm. that I think is a radar that most people will, if they're following Jesus, will have pretty quickly. And if you, if you experience something that is outside of shepherding, absolutely remove yourself. But outside of that, have patience and humility to, to observe and allow God to move and then take it back to Scripture to chew on. And then take it to your, to your eldership. Take it to your leadership and say, listen, I'm, I want to work through this. I, I am so grateful that all of what I just mm-hmm. described was afforded to me at, at that time, Church in the City, in November of 2006. All of it, had it not been, I don't know, I don't know what my position on these things would be today. Mm-hmm. That began, that began the, the, the journey again, as I've mentioned before, just the lid coming off and the excitement and the never ending vitality of what it means to try to have relationship with God. Yeah. So I didn't live in Chicago at the same time. I moved in January of 07 and we had been praying. I was going to say earlier, like James found church in the city and answered to prayer, my prayers in New York, that he would find a church <laughs> and God dropped the flyer from heaven. So I moved in January and, and he, uh, you know, I had heard of the church. He called me like the very first night he visited telling me, I think I found a church. It was awesome. We were so excited. And when I moved, the first meeting I went to was a prayer meeting, not a Sunday meeting. And kind of the same exact thing happened. We were praying and someone was praying in tongues with the group with me. And now knowing what I know, I see some of the outworking of like there was some tongues and then there was, I would say, interpretive prayer over me or interpreted prayer out. But also it it was, again, faith. I don't remember in the moment if there was a given explanation, but I would say 90% of the time that I experienced Anthem and Church in the City, there was always like a shepherded guidance of what what you see expressed and how how we would express it, even the government, the governance over that. Anyway, so I came in January to this prayer meeting and afterwards James and I had dinner and he had told me nothing of, of uh, speaking in tongues and all of this. And we sat down to dinner and I just like took a deep breath and I went, so you didn't tell me about this. <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of sat there. I didn't really know what to say because I, I honestly wasn't put off. I, I was nervous because it was different and in my, I would say, almost cultural experience of church, it was it was not something I had been shown was okay. But I also know that we do church according to the scripture and according to the way God gives, not our preferences. And so, yes, I was a little uncomfortable, but I felt loved. I felt 
I felt the presence of God, period, honestly, could be the end of that statement. But I also was shepherded, and that was also a new experience for me. That's a whole other conversation. But being shepherded in a church by an eldership team was a new experience for me coming into church in the city. I had a relationship with the leadership of the church that I had never experienced as, I mean, I was still fairly young, but as the college kids, whatever, anybody growing up. I think a lot of it is, I'm, I'm kind of hearing this theme, if I were to like summarize of like the, the excess, the, the abuse kind of just scaring you from the authentic. And I, I've said this before on the podcast, not so eloquently, but I feel like oftentimes when you come across the authentic, if you, if you've only seen a crooked line, you won't know what a straight line is. I think once you experience the straight line being the authentic move of the Holy Spirit, then it puts everything else into check uh, in, in, in a lot of ways. So I, I guess the question that I'm trying to get at is, um, it's funny because I was, I was on Instagram this morning and a couple of my friends, I mean, they're very mission oriented and they talk about how, you know, when you separate the Holy Spirit from the mission and mandate of kingdom expansion, that's where things get weird. Similarly yeah. to how you guys were talking about how the, if there's no church governance or eldership over it, like, yeah, things start getting weird. And I think there is a little of that, especially in America with like this hyper charismatic movement. But I mean, I'd love to hear about this concept of, of God, because God is a God of order. You know, the gifts of the spirit are, are things that are orderly. The Holy Spirit is not, he's not some wild free for all. Does that question kind of make sense? I'm trying to, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think about how to eloquently ask this, but I can't. Um, if you guys are catching on to the theme, feel free to, to answer it. Yeah, I mean, Nitin, you're, you're right on. Look, God has created a design of things, and we have a choice to honor that design or step outside of it. And the first way sin ever came into the world was uh, Adam and Eve stepped out of what God had designed for them. So there's probably two lies that people function under. If you are, if you are say, very comfortable with the authority of the Word of God, then probably one lie that you might, you know, be oppressed under is, hey, it's really unsafe, wild, and harmful to expect God to move supernaturally because then it's 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 only going to get messy. So that's one lie. The the lie the other direction is if you are say very comfortable with the idea of God moving supernaturally, but um, you're maybe not as familiar with the, His design as set forth in Scripture then the lie you're going to struggle with is, hey, you know, the second you start putting, you know, clamps on what God is doing, you're just going to quench the spirit and really mm -hmm. kind of hem him. And both of those boil down to, both of those lies boil down really to the whisper that Satan has always tried to put to us. And it's the same four words. It's, did God really say? Mm -hmm. And that's the first thing that he said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say? And that's how sin entered in. We, so to, to your question, you know, we, we have to allow ourselves to respect and honor God's design for things. He has designed the, the gift of his Holy Spirit to move in power among us. And that is interpreted, governed, and expected through his word. And he has designed his word to propel us in anointing and power to a world that doesn't know him. And so when, when we recognize God's design, we have to honor it. The second we don't, we become harmful. So church leadership, eldership, 
imperfect individuals, but they hold a role, not a value, a role mm. that God has given that actually when we honor that design, God God pours out his supernatural power and anointing all the more because God isn't looking to just use us through his power. He's looking for our worship and our honoring of him. And then he will turn on the faucet of his power. Um, I feel like I may be talking circles around there a little bit, but I, but th- those lies of, of if I, if I'm anxious for the Holy spirit to move, but I'm not anxious to honor eldership and church governance, I've missed God's design. And, if I'm anxious to have order and, you know, discernible setup and governance in church, but I don't ever want to step out in faith and, and risk mm-hmm. the power of God on something, then I'm, I'm just sitting in something that can only ever be incomplete mm-hmm. according to how God has designed it otherwise. JC? Uh, I just was kind of thinking about just fear. I don't know if this totally speaks to the question you're asking, but my thought was, I think fear whether one way or the other keeps people from stepping into the fullness that God has for us and wherever you're kind of coming from, I think. And, and I would say also just a desire for control. It, when we're talking about the things of the Holy Spirit as humans, that means we're really genuinely stepping back and asking God to do something, maybe outside our comfort zone, maybe not something I would necessarily choose to do, but his way, not mine. Incredible answers. And, and I want to just kind of, dive in a little deeper if I can, just on some personal experiences. And I know that word experience can sometimes be a challenging word for for some to hear or for some to associate with a walk with the Lord. I think often we we tend to look for kind of three to four steps to to guaranteed success, as it were, three to four steps in how to grow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I don't want this question to come across in that way, because the beauty of walking with the Lord is that he works so uniquely in each of us. But what were some of the ways that each of you began to dig deeper into enjoying an experience with the Holy Spirit while obviously maintaining the love for and passion for God's word? Some personal things that that, that you did to grow deeper in, in this experience. The biggest thing that I feel like grew my walking with the Holy Spirit is community, is being with church family. And um, I mean, I remember many, many, many times, well, also just God moving, but like usually it was experiencing something and having questions and bringing that back into my small group, women's group, often the eldership team, always, and kind of just bouncing things around and, and help. I think I learned that way hugely mm-hmm. like yes i read but a huge way that i learn is through community kind of chewing on something together and i remember specific moments where it was maybe a new expression of that god was using with me and and this is something james and i were talking about too like the move of the holy spirit is to increase our intimacy with him and mm-hmm. to glorify jesus like and i see that 100 percent in my walk with the lord i remember once i I had a smell that felt like it was following me around all day. And I was like, what is happening? Like I'm smelling everything driving around Chicago <laughs> and got to a friend's house. And I was like, okay, I don't, I'm going crazy. Went, had a meeting, came back out and I was still smelling the smell. So later, and then I was finally able to place the smell and it 
so random, but I could place the smell and it tied back to a, a, a name that was Mountain Spring Tide. And there were lots of personal experiences around it. But at the end of the day, I had just heard a preach about a spring tide that came in from Ash Bell when he came to church in the city and preached about a spring tide. And it was this whole picture of what God was actually doing in my heart. And he spoke to me through a smell. And I remember calling one of the other elders' wives and I'm like, all right, talk to me about this. I'm like, am I losing my mind? <laughs> or is this the Lord? Like, it feels like the Lord, but I've never experienced this. You know, and it was it was just beautiful to see him speak to me in an incredibly intimate way and personal way that, you know, yes, of course, Scripture does that. And he'll reveal himself to, through Scripture. But I think these are the other beautifully creative ways that God engages with us as humans and makes himself known to us, but also reminds us how known we are mm. and loved we are. And that's beyond precious as a human to get to experience that with our creator. Absolutely. James, I'm going to give you a chance to answer that question too, but just to add, Jesse, I mean, we've been teaching through the book of Mark as a, uh, on Sundays. We're taking four and a half months to, to walk our way through the, through the book. It's a book of activity. It's a book of, at times, frenetic and frantic activity. Um, but there's these moments continually through the book of Mark where it just becomes so clear that Jesus is not about us doing things for him, but about us being with him. I was just reflecting this morning on Mark chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside, verse 13, and called to, called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And just that, that I mean, that, that beautiful verse of, of calling to him, and then they came to him. And I think Jesus is continually doing that. He's calling us to him. We tend to, we tend to wonder, we tend to stray, we tend to get distracted. By, by busyness, by things, by, uh, but Jesus is, and through the Holy Spirit is calling us to Jesus and for us to be with Jesus. Later on, it goes, to, goes on to talk about, and then Jesus sends them out. And there are, there are things Jesus calls us to do, but primarily we're not called to do things. We're called to be with someone, and that someone is, is Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. James? Yeah, I mean, it's so it's so true. Part of what I was going to say is that the the goal of anything God does in us through us is not so much what He's doing, although He is doing it. Uh, the fact that He uses us and partners with us and allows us to be a part of it is is an indication that the the reward of it is intimacy with Jesus. For me, I as I began to come around to the reality that God moves supernaturally and that I should expect him to speak and move in power and manifest of himself and, 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 you know, in real time and all the things we've been talking about. To be honest, this is going to sound really rudimentary, but I just started to ask him all the time to do it more and more. Every time I prayed mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning in a corporate gathering, whenever I was, you know, studying the Bible by myself, in the shower, on my walk to school, on the train, whatever, I would just say, Lord, would you move in power in my life? The ironic thing, or maybe not ironic, but ironic for this conversation is not only did that open my eyes more and, and give me a faith for him to move in my circumstances that I had never had before, it also drove me even more to his word. And as I went to his word, I began to read the Bible unlike I ever had before. And I remember saying to myself early on in, in, in these years, read the Bible like God still moves in power. 
And I'm yeah. telling you, it changes everything about how you read it from Genesis to Revelation, what you see God doing, who you see him using for crying out loud, the circumstances you see him just moving through in power or knocking out of his way. I mean, the gospel is never in retreat. God is never put on his heels. I just, it's, it sounds so simple, but I just started to ask the Lord continually, Lord, speak to me, use me, anoint me, move in power. But it is key because I had never asked God to do those things through me before. Mm. I had literally never <laughs> had faith for God to anoint me, to minister in the moment, whatever it may be, prophetically, where it, however it may be, to anyone else for any of his glory. I had never done that before. And now I was doing it every day. Uh, and it was a huge, it's a huge difference in your faith and believing God. And one of the things I'll, I'll end with this, Steve, that you preached that is still stuck with me is you defined maturity one time as simply saying yes to Jesus. Growing in maturity means saying yes to Jesus. And I realized, how can I be saying yes to Jesus if I'm never asking him to speak to me and move and lead me? And that only when he, when I'm conscious of him doing that, Mm. Am I actually able to grow in maturity and say yes to him? Mm. Well, and I was just going to say in the day to day too, like I would say prior to this, like the moments where I really asked God for answers were like when I was going to college or like choosing a major, like these major, very selfishly motivated things, a little bit of like, tell me what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to walk. And now I just want to like, thank the Lord for the faithfulness of men and women to teach his word clearly that brings in what you said. I never did this or I never did that, but God wants us to walk in intimacy with him. He wants us to talk to him, to know him and all of these things. And he knows that the Holy spirit <laughs> facilitates that. And so like, I'm so thankful for churches faithfully teaching and yeah. leading authentically as we've said these things that we need to know him and god is absolutely going to bring them to us whether we ask for it or not i i trust and i pray that you know mm. brilliant jesse i kid you not i was literally writing the holy spirit is the conduit of intimacy with jesus as you were talking about that right now like i just started <laughs> i just started writing it because i felt like that's what the lord was dropping on my heart so that's crazy that you're even saying that mm. i'm leading a life group here at anthem and it's been great because we just come it's like 15 of us and we just come and we just like are unchurched. We're like, okay, you know what? Like, let's just let go of any preconceived notions and just take the scriptures at a fresh lens and see what comes up. And Good. Um, I mean, really simple rudimentary stuff that like, you know, could probably like at most churches get you kicked out, but like, we're just asking with like a genuine hunger and authenticity. And I, I mean, one of the things that we we've talked about is, is, you know, the purpose of the law or, or the command of God, you know, and expressed in the Old Testament, you know, and, and what role the Holy Spirit plays. I was, I was, quote, I was talking to my group about Galatians. I think it's five, yeah, five, 16 to 18. I, I might be wrong on that, on that quotation there, but it talks about how if you are under the spirit, there is no law. And I think about the law as do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. But the Holy Spirit is, again, this conduit of intimacy. And he, I mean, the scripture literally says, if you have the Holy Spirit, you're not under the law anymore. We're mm -hmm. under a new covenant and a new grace. I, I mean, I'd love for you guys to unpack this idea of, again, like the two complement each other. And how has the Holy Spirit, the role and the person of the Holy Spirit brought more intimacy with you and Jesus? 
you know, to be honest, Newton, I, I would compare it to before I was a parent, before I was a dad, and now being a dad. The only reason I use that comparison is this. Before I was a dad, I could not envision at all, I could not predict or even just fathom what it's like to be on the other side and have kids. Like there's, there's literally, it is such a shift. It is such a rewiring mm. of your paradigm that I don't even think I could, to use your quote from earlier, go back in a time machine and even talk to my pre-fatherhood self and even give a good explanation. I, it just so utterly rewires and changes mm. you. And so that's, it's, it's to that level that I think the change for me that I would describe when you have an unwavering agreement with the authority of God's word and you have an unwavering expectation for him to move and speak and anoint and interact with you in real time, which, by the way, is not an idea you thought up. It's an idea he thought up, just so we're clear. Mm-hmm. When you have those two agreements, you, you can never go back to, mm-hmm. to only having one or the other. It is such a paradigm shift. And while I'm on that thought, if I could just share really briefly, just an encouragement for anyone who's listening. If you, maybe you're listening and you say, you know, man, I grew up just like James and Jesse did in a, in a church that was very heavy on the authority of scripture, but not on the movement of God in power, or maybe the other direction. I'm very comfortable with, with God moving supernaturally, but the Bible seems constrictive and boring and whatever to me. There's one temptation that comes, and that is to maybe get a little bitter uh, or disappointed as to what mm-hmm. you've lacked. But I want to say this, whatever, whatever has been poured into you, whatever has been poured into you, be it heavy on the authority of scripture or heavy on the supernatural experience of God, don't get bitter about what isn't there. Be grateful about what is there. God has not set them against each other. Yeah. We talk often about um, a balance of word and spirit, and I think even that is the wrong word. Yeah. It's a fullness of the word and a fullness of the spirit. Mm. It's not you have too much Bible, you don't have enough spirit, or you have too much spirit, you don't have enough Bible. That You let me know when you have enough Bible, okay? Mm. Or you let me know when you have enough spirit. I, I want the fullness of both. And so to encourage anyone who's listening, whatever you have in your hand, whatever that's been poured into you, celebrate it. And now put it before the Lord and say, fullness, mm-hmm. I want, build into me, build into me forever and ever, fill in, fill in, fill in. And that's part of what I mean when I say that paradigm shift, mm-hmm. that heart position of Lord, more, more of your word, more of your spirit, more in me and through me. Mm-hmm. That's the paradigm shift that I wasn't in before, but am in now and can't imagine living outside of i've compared it to marriage and the idea that to become one and like there's there's only a work of god in that like Mm. i couldn't wrap my head around it and Mm. it's a work of god that and even to understand it before we were married it was just kind of something i had to experience um that you know people ask well why can't you guys just live together and be whatever why do you have to get married and my only answer was because that's God's model. And he says, we become one. And it's like, I always love in Chronicles of Narnia, the deep magic. I feel like that's part of God's deep magic. His deep work mm. is that. And I, I see that with the work of the Holy spirit and scripture mm. and his fuller outworking of how we walk with him and how we know him. And you can see that in the language around marriage as well to be fully known. Mm. And I see that in when we, I don't even know what the right words are, but like accept, admit, like welcome the Holy Spirit as 
he is, we receive that as well. And it's, and for me, not easily articulated because I do think it is something that is woven like threads mm. in your walk with the Lord that become almost indiscernible in the whole fabric of it. Mm. But it happens. To summarize, it's whatever background you grew up in, there's always more. Whether you're, you grew up in a background there you're strong on the word, there's always more of the Holy Spirit. And if you grew up in a background where you're heavy Holy Spirit, it's more of the word that, you know, is, is available. And I think a helpful analogy that I've heard is you're only looking at one part of the menu, not realizing that there's this full, it's like you have your eyes set on the dollar menu, the McDouble, and you're like, <laughs> man, this must be amazing. This is so good. But really, there's a Big Mac there, which, man, this is a bad analogy. McDonald's is not good. <laughs> Get to go with the, you know, whatever, Chick-fil-A, you, you, you get what I'm saying, right? It's just, yeah. it's looking at one part of the menu when in reality, God has so much more in, in both the 100%. spirit and the word yeah. um, coming together. But to bring this into land, I, I love to just hear really quickly about kind of where City Beautiful is at, what you guys are doing in East Harlem. I know there's a decent amount of listeners in New York. If you guys are listening, come check out City Beautiful in East Harlem. Uh, my fiance and I had a great time there. This past weekend and, and and over the summer too. So we just kind of love to hear a little bit of that uh, before landing this episode. Yeah, sure. Thanks. I mean, we, we again, we appreciate it. We, long story short, we we left Anthem, we left Chicago in the summer of 2019, and we moved to New York uh, just in time for a global <laughs> pandemic. Um, but you know, God has been so incredibly faithful uh, to us, and there's there's just not enough time to go into uh, even even any examples of that with any we'll, we'll go into that anytime you want us to but the long the long story short of it is we began a city beautiful church meeting officially in our home last june so that was in june of 2021 and we've been gathering in our home ever since while we have done a lot of the practical and legal bylaws stuff you know we're, we're, we're taking this time to meet in our home and where we are now is trusting the lord soon for potentially a venue Mm-hmm. Uh, here in, in East Harlem, in our neighborhood, to have more of a, a, a 24-7 exposure to our community. And we, we, are, we are really, I think the name of the game for us is, is going at God's pace. Yeah. Uh, our, the confluence of factors and unique things that we've experienced in these last almost three years, I never could have predicted. From moving to New York, which carries its own heaviness, to living here and starting your life here, which is it's just indescribably difficult and big and then doing all that in the midst of covid and meanwhile we have four kids and parenting never stops and our marriage never stops and you know and steve can speak to all of that as well leading a church so for us we feel very full with what god is is doing some days we hit the pillow and we're like we deserve a nobel prize just for making it through this day but we are excited for all that god is teaching us as much as for what he is building at times, it feels excruciatingly slow, but our trust and our hope is, is in him to advance his purposes. Psalm 86 says, teach me your ways so that I can rely on your faithfulness. So we're saying to the Lord, teach us your ways. We're relying on your faithfulness. He's building City Beautiful Church faithfully. For us, we feel it's a prophetic presence here, whether we are 15 to 20 people in a living room, which we are right now, or, you know, Lord willing, one day many more with with ministries that look like this or that. This is, God has a beautiful destiny for the city of New York. And as Shakespeare said, what's a city, but it's people. 
And so we are for the people of New York. So if you're in the New York area, come join us. We are still yeah. we have we are still in the process of even putting things together like a website or any kind of presence like that. But all of that is coming. You know, we're just trusting for even more establishment uh, in the here and now from from the Lord, and we're doing it at His pace. And yeah. it's it's a, just a joy and a privilege to be a part of. You know, there's um, these times are joyful and these times are are frustrating. Sitting, looking at a screen. And talking with friends who've just left such a mark on on lives. Sorry if I get a little emotional, but I think it's appropriate, only appropriate, just to honor the two of you for the remarkable impact that you left on this church and the church that I have the privilege of leading. You've spoken very honoringly of how we've led the church but it's impossible when you send people out, when you have the privilege of releasing people, it's impossible to ever replace giftings and ministries, but most importantly, hearts. That's what the two of you um, sowed into this church. You sowed your hearts. And that's why people wept on the day that you both left. And and I know that, that God has an incredible destiny on, on the two of you and on City Beautiful in years to come. Um, but I just, I just feel it's appropriate before we end just to honor the two of you for, for the heart that you sowed into, into Anthem Church. It's a priceless investment that you've made. It's an eternal investment that you made, and I want to thank mm. you for that. Can I, can I end with just reading a scripture, yeah. if possible? I, just while we were talking, I just felt just to, to read over us, for all of us who are listening, involved in this podcast today, I just uh, I felt this prayer that Paul praise over the church in, in, in Ephesus. And man, it's, it's one of my favorite prayers. I've taught on it before, so I'm going to resist the temptation to dig, to dig deep, but I just want to allow the word of God just to, just to wash over us. Paul says this in, in verse 13, 14 of chapter 3 of, of, of Ephesians, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, I pray that this would be a reality for all of us, that we would experience the infilling of your spirit, that we would know and understand the, the, the vastness of your love, and that we would be filled not to the measure that we use, but to, me- to the measure that you use, which is the fullness of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.